This episode is sponsored by Gentex Corporation. Gentex is a longtime supplier of electro-optical products for the global automotive, aerospace, and fire protection industries. Visit www.gentex.com to check out the latest in digital vision, connected car, and dimmable glass technologies. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Shift, a podcast about mobility. I'm your host, Pete Bigelow. Hi, Pete. Hi, everybody. This is Leslie Allen. Welcome to the show, everyone. Joining us on the podcast today is Robert Malloy. He's the director of the National Transportation Safety Board's Highway Safety Office. Uh, we'll be talking to him about connected vehicle safety technology and uh, one particular crash that happened recently, which which really illustrates the uh, the hopeful use case for what a lot of us call V2X here in the uh, auto industry. But first, Leslie, uh, a lot of headlines as usual in the mobility realm this week, perhaps uh, starting with one related to unintended braking in certain vehicles. What, uh, what's the latest there? What we have, Pete, is NHTSA opening up a, an investigation into 1.7 million Honda vehicles for unintended automatic emergency braking. and. Um, Right now, there are it's several model years and models are involved, such as the 2018 to 19 Accord, 2017 to 19 CRV, and they've gotten about 278 complaints about this inadvertent activation of these systems, which of course are meant to help prevent collisions. But if you have a vehicle that's braking on its own for no good reason, then I would imagine that would be something that could cause a collision rather than prevent a collision. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of the unintended consequences, Leslie. I think we see a lot of uh, these false positive incidents across automakers at this point. Uh, and with the, with the 2022 mandates for automated emergency braking technology, I, I think that this is probably the tip of the iceberg and uh, we'll see lots more of this in, in the years to come. And, uh, you know, I, I think it speaks a lot to, some of the challenges in the self-driving industry, in the driver assist industry, is exactly how do you how do you weed out false positives without uh, you know without weeding out false negatives as well, which are obviously just as problematic. And it's a great challenge for the auto industry right here. Uh, perhaps you know generally along similar lines, uh, not in the automated realm, but in the connected car realm. Another big challenge that we read about this week was the sunset of three G. Uh, how is that affecting automakers right now? Specifically, Pete, we're talking about the sunset last week of AT&T's 3G wireless service, which, of course, affects a lot of vehicles. And other telecommunications companies are going to be sunsetting their 3G technology as well by the end of the year. Now, what that means for the auto industry is many of these systems that offer automatic crash notification they communicate through a 3G signal on older vehicles. So now the automakers have to find a way to make their technology work with 4G, or in some cases they have simply said, sorry, this isn't working anymore. And if you have a subscription to this, you know, 
it's just not going to work and it'll be in your car you'll have the button there but you won't be able to use it that's really a, uh, a step backward in a lot of way i'm surprised it's not backward compatible in some fashion there is um technology out there that can retrofit some vehicles in particular we featured a story monday on a company called mojio which offers a plug-in device that goes into the um, the onboard diagnostics port, the um, a dongle, if you will, that will give that car a 4G LTE connection through T-Mobile. And there's also over-the-air updates that some automakers are offering that can keep their vehicles up to date, even um, if they have older technology installed. Well, speaking of connected vehicle safety technology and in, in another aspect, uh, you know, over the years, over the decades now at this point, we've heard a lot about the promise of vehicle to vehicle communications or vehicle to infrastructure communication, commonly all wrapped together under that Vita X acronym. Uh, that too has suffered some significant setbacks in recent years, uh, but a lot of people in the safety community still believe that it can be very effective in saving lives on U.S. roads. And uh, there was an accident involving uh, an overturned bus, uh, three tractor trailers, and a passenger vehicle in uh, Mount Pleasant, Pennsylvania about two years ago that the NTSB just uh, wrapped up its investigation on. Uh, and it really, uh, in a lot of ways, is the poster child for what VitaX could do should ever be deployed in widespread fashion. And uh, and Robert Malloy, the director of the NTSB's Highway Safety Office, is is here to uh, kind of give us the lowdown on on VitaX, that particular crash, and uh, and some other things in the highway driving realm more broadly. So, without further ado, uh, let's go to our conversation with Robert Malloy. Rob, thanks so much for making the time today to join us on the podcast. Great to have you here. Thank you so much, Pete, for having me. Let's set the stage for this a little bit. Uh, you have worked at the National Transportation Safety Board for, for I think, about 25 years. And I'm curious, uh, how has the influx of new technology throughout the auto industry changed your job? Have you seen a faster rate of, of change in, let's say, the last five years than you did in the, uh, in the first couple of years of your tenure? Well, the, the great thing about working at the Safety Board is we have five modes. Um, so a lot of the advances we're seeing in the automotive world right now, we've seen in aviation also with the technology for avoiding collisions and the automated technology. Um, so that's what's really interesting is we're starting a process over again where some of the lessons we learned already, we're learning again. Very interesting. Um, I'm going to ask you about that cross-pollination between modes in a minute here, but um, to kind of really kick this off, I want to talk about one particular automotive technology uh, that has kind of been around and a glimmer on the horizon for 25 years, and that is what we might call V2V, V2X, or just connected car technology. Um, what, from your perspective, is taking so long for that to uh, reach widespread adoption? Well, I think, you know, I, I agree with you. you. You mentioned earlier that I was with the safety board for 25 years. I remember going up to the crash uh, avoidance uh, metrics partnership camp uh, where all the manufacturers work together um, and learning about the connected vehicle technology over a decade ago and seeing the manufacturers very proud of what they were able to do with the SRC technology. But the idea of cars talking to each other 
um, really solve a lot of problems, especially with regard to intersections, um, vehicles that are far ahead of you. Um, so I think there's a lot of promise. Um, I think some of it though was the technology took some time to develop. Uh, you know, just as we have very small phones that can do everything now, that technology advance has helped auto manufacturers get this into the vehicles uh, better. And so I think that's part of what's taken is being able to get that technology to a size that really fit uh, the vehicles. Um, Rob, there's a specific crash that the NTSB investigated over the past two years and earlier this month held a meeting to discuss. And that crash occurred on January 5th, 2020 in Mount Pleasant, Pennsylvania. And there were five people killed and 50 injured. Can you uh, tell us more about what happened? Yes, in that crash uh, happened late at night, uh, 3.30 in the morning. Uh, there was snow uh, falling at the time, but the roads were just wet and a motor coach was traveling uh, down the Pennsylvania Turnpike um, at a speed of about 77 miles an hour, went into a curve that had a curve warning of 55 miles an hour. So it slowed down, um, but as it was going through the curve for reasons that the board couldn't determine, the driver started making a series of rapid steering inputs. The vehicle lost control, hit the uh, an embankment by the side of the road, and then ended up on its side with its bottom facing traffic blocking the whole road. Then um, less than a minute later, uh, one tractor trailer came upon the crash and then struck the, struck the um, underside of the bus. But the driver had detected the um, bus and began braking and so only hit it about 22 miles an hour. Another semi-tractor trailer came up behind that one shortly after and didn't see the vehicles until later and was traveling at a higher speed. The first truck was at about 55 miles an hour. This truck was about 70. It began braking, hit the uh, two vehicles at about 55, 56 miles an hour. And then um, two other vehicles uh, were able to almost miss the uh, crash vehicles to the right, uh, but they ended up sliding into them at the end. So, you know, that was a crash in which three of those trucks had technology on board that are to prevent that running into vehicles that are in the roadway in front of you. Um, none of the vehicles had their Ford collision warning systems uh, or automatic braking activate. So that was a, a key issue for us looking into that uh, investigation. And, and that also raises a question. Um, how does the NTSB decide when to launch an investigation and why were you interested in this particular crash? So when we look at um, investigations, we're going to look at several factors is one, can we bring a unique perspective to the investigation? Two, uh, is it an issue that we are interested in exploring? Uh, is it an issue that we've not explored in the past? And do I have the resources? Um, currently on our most wanted list is collision avoidance technology. And so when we saw this, uh, the details of this crash, we thought this would be a uh, crash that we could explore. Could collision avoidance technologies have helped in this situation? Um, and what can we do to further uh, get people to install collision avoidance technologies? Rob, one of the things that I always find so fascinating about the work that you do and, and the you know reports that get published is there's very rarely a um, you know kind of cut and dry answer to why a crash occurred. Um, 
you know, it's, it's not just the speed here. It's not just the, the snow falling and the wet roadway. It's this whole um, chain of factors that includes collision avoidance technology one way or the other. Uh, I'm curious, or, or I should say that includes collision avoidance technology. Uh, I'm curious when you look at this and see the absence of something like the connected vehicle technology that we talked about, uh, what role might have that played in, in preventing this crash? And you're, you're so right. We go so much beyond just kind of what one error causes crash. We're not trying to find that one problem that led to this crash. We're trying to find all the places where the safety system failed to prevent the crash. Um, so we're going to look at the vehicle. Was there anything the vehicle uh, design could have done better? Um, we're obviously going to look at the driver and, and see was the driver fatigued? Were they inattentive? You know, but we'll look at the roadway too. What were the speeds? You know, and we'll put that all together. Um, so as we look at things like the forward collision and automatic emergency braking, um, we see that this was a difficult crash for those types of radar-based and camera-based systems because we had snow falling. You know, it was nighttime. The visibility was low. Uh, it was on a curve. You know, all of those things, you know, the underside of a, a, a motor coach. All those things make those systems um, less likely to work. Um, and that's where V2V can come in um, because if the vehicle, as it rolls over, communicates back to other vehicles that a vehicle has rolled over ahead of you, then people are able to respond much more quickly for a situation where radar type systems or camera type systems are really challenged. It seems in some way, you know, NTSB has always had this holistic approach to investigating crashes and, and kind of recently, both from USDOT uh, and from, from Jennifer Hamandi at NTSB as well, we've kind of heard about this, this new approach to traffic safety called the safe systems approach. Is, is that different than what this holistic approach you've taken to crash investigation before? Or, or is this kind of a new, new phrase uh, that that encompasses what you've always done? I think it really encompasses what we've always done. We've always thought that there are multiple solutions, you know, multiple safety layers that do include highway, the basically for us, the rules of the road that carriers follow, uh, so motor carrier rules. Um, it also includes the vehicles, the drivers, the response after a crash, because a crash can happen if people get there quickly enough and um, if we've designed the vehicles well enough for helping survive, people survive, we've really reduced the impact. That's how we've always handled it. I don't think all of the traffic safety community has handled things that way with regard to um, crashes. I think we generally get into the problem of blaming the driver. And, you know, I think that helps all of us as we drive, you know, because I wouldn't get into that situation because I'm a good driver. Um, I think it makes us all feel better. But the reality is, is a lot of us can fall into those same traps if the vehicle is not designed to support us, if the roadway isn't designed to support our, our driving tasks. So I think it's a really good conversation and change that there are so many things that we can do other than just fixing the driver. You know, a lot of what drives automation, I think, right now in automated vehicles is if we could just get rid of the driver, we improve safety immediately. You know, that just kind of changes some of the errors. We really do need to make this road safer, make sure the speeds are appropriate, you know, and make sure that the vehicles are compatible uh, with people and that when other road users need to use the road, they have places to use that. So all of those layers 
we can get the whole traffic safety community in the public thinking like that, I really think we have the potential for a lot of improvement because the reality is we need it. We're moving the wrong direction. We're, we're heading over 40,000 fatalities a year. Um, and we've lost a lot of the progress we have over the last decade, um, over these last couple of years. So when you talk about getting buy-in from the traffic safety community, uh, back in 2013, the NTSB issued safety recommendations to NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, regarding B2X technology. So what has NHTSA done with those recommendations so far? So we did make those recommendations. We had a uh, crash where a school bus and a, a truck came together at an intersection and the kind of radar-based systems really wouldn't work. So we suggested connected vehicle technology. Um, since then, NHTSA did begin a rulemaking um, and we commented on that rulemaking where they were saying that this technology would be um, required for all vehicles. And that was about 2017, so four years after our recommendation. Um, we commented that it should include trucks, you know, and other vehicles too, but we were really supportive of that. Um, unfortunately, then there became some discussion of what should be the technology for communication. Should it be uh, LTE? Should it be cellular? Should it be um, DSRC? Um, and then we had the FCC take action to change the spectrum that was available for these uh, communications to take place. And that's created, uh, you know, hindered the process even more. Um, so we saw movement towards implementation of connected vehicle technology, um, you know, in the first four years, we've seen us moving away from that over the last four years. And you mentioned this uh, really grim statistic of 40,000 people uh, being killed on American roads every year. So, and obviously the numbers are not going in the right direction right now. So what kind of an impact do you envision B2X technology having on that number? Well, I think if you look at the research that's been done about the types of crashes where VTX technology can help, um, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has projected 80% of those crashes could be affected by connected technology. And you know that's a big chunk of, of that number. And so we're missing a, a, a huge opportunity for improvement. Rob, you mentioned the FCC ruling that uh, that has definitely hindered the the advent of V to X. Um, I'm wondering if you could a put a, a bit of a finer point on on what exactly that that ruling did, and uh, and then out of this Mount Pleasant crash, I know that uh, NTSB has a specific recommendation for the FCC regarding connected vehicle tech. Yeah. So what happened is the FCC shrunk the spectrum that would be available for this type of communication from 75 megahertz uh, down to 30 megahertz. Um, and they also said that anyone using the lower uh, part of that 75 megahertz would have to move out of that area. Um, they basically made uh, DSRC uh, technology that was using that area no longer um, really allowed to operate there. So we see a lot, you know, over half the states had projects they were working on with infrastructure to vehicle technologies. Those now need to be adjusted. Um, right now, there's uncertainty for uh, manufacturers um, because we don't know 
what interference will be like with the smaller spectrum. Uh, we don't know um, if that spectrum will, will be large enough to communicate all the messages we want, um, particularly since there are multiple types of communication. You know, the DSRC, the uh, LTE, the 5G, you know, those channels all require space. So what that shrinking the space will do. So that lack of certainty that is now in place is really um, stymieing uh, innovation um, because people don't know what to develop and with their developments will be free from the interference. Uh, and so will they be effective? We're gonna take a short break from our conversation with Rob for a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Gentex Corporation, a global technology company that supplies nearly every major automaker with advanced electronic features that optimize driver vision and enhance driving safety. Digital vision features like Gentex's full display mirror, an intelligent rear vision system that uses a custom camera and mirror integrated video display to optimize a vehicle's rearward view. Connected car features like Homelink, the industry's most widely used and trusted vehicle-based wireless control system that uses radio frequency and or cloud-based wireless control to operate garage doors, gates, home lighting, thermostats, security systems, and other compatible home automation devices. All from three buttons, smartly integrated into your vehicle's interior. And dimmable glass features like automatic dimming rear view mirrors that use sophisticated light sensors, proprietary gels, and microprocessor-based algorithms to darken the mirror to the precise level necessary to eliminate dangerous rear view mirror glare. The development and delivery of these features have improved driver convenience and safety around the world. Visit www.gentex.com to check out the latest in digital vision, connected car, and dimmable glass technologies. And now back to our conversation with Robert Malloy from NTSB. You know, we've been thinking about V2V in terms of uh, vehicles communicating with each other. Are there complementary applications like infrastructure detecting wrong-way drivers, for example? Certainly, and a number of states had technologies for connected um, vehicles to, you know, help emergency vehicles get to where they need to be to render aid, uh, communicating with the infrastructure so they can do that quickly. Um, there have been uh, uses for speed. You know, one of the one of the issues we had in this crash was the speeds of the vehicles, and we made recommendations for variable speed limit signs, um, but even an advancement on that is a sign that communicates to the vehicles what the speeds are. And that communication can happen um, with connected technology. Um, so there's a lot of technologies that, or a lot of safety applications. Um, we've been interested in pedestrian detection. Is there some way that pedestrians can be seen through connected uh, technology? And I think some of the uh, Infrastructure Act that just came out talk about connected technology for helping bicyclists and, and pedestrians. So I think um, there are a lot of applications that are now, we kind of have to start over to make sure that they can work in this new environment. Rob, uh, I'll detour a second. So I'll tell you, I was driving home the other day and uh, hit a bit of a snow squall 
and uh, you know the road was was icy and it was a little hairy. Um, but I got an alert on on Waze, the app that I was using for my ride home, that that told me that there was ice detected ahead, uh, you know, 0.4 miles or whatever it was, and uh, I found that pretty useful. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering what role an app such as that can can play in either complementing or or replacing this idea that that connected technology with the alerts has to be embedded in the car. I think, you know, one of the issues is there are some messages you can, you have more time to deliver. You know, um, one issue area that that we've always been interested in is when there's construction zones, you know, and do drivers know they're coming up upon this construction zones? Those can be communicated. Um, they, they're not as, uh, they don't have to be as immediate as collision warning, uh, collision avoidance type technologies. Um, but that still provide a safety benefit, you know, that you know that a uh, construction uh, zone is coming up and there's a queue of vehicles behind it. That's great information to get. We've talked about getting information out to drivers about grade crossings, you know, that would tell you you're about to come up to a grade crossing because some of them are, you know, don't have the gates and they don't have the lights. Um, and, but being aware of that would help driver safety. And so we've made recommendations for maps to be able to push that information out. I think that's giving drivers information that will help them drive safely is what we're trying to get to with connected technologies. Um, you know, some of the difficulties of doing it through the ways approach is, you know, is it integrated into the car? I mean, that's one thing that we'd want with the connected is that when it's integrated, it doesn't distract the driver but it just enhances their, their task. Um, and again, the, the fact of getting the connected technology just allows for more rapid communications. So, you know, if something's very dynamic, you get that right away. You've mentioned a couple of times the collision avoidance technology that, that the trucks involved, I believe in the Mount Pleasant crash were equipped with, but uh, if I heard you right, none of them were working or, or only one of them were working? So the reality is there were three trucks. Each one of them had a collision avoidance uh, system with um, automatic braking. And for a number, for a couple of reasons, none of them activated uh, that we could see. So it could be, for example, with the first truck that the driver reacted before the system had a chance to react. And so once he applies the braking, the system isn't going to, to then interact. Um, the third vehicle again driver may have responded before the system had a chance to react the most concerning aspect of the crash for us was the second vehicle had the system in place um, and had a radar unit uh, that had a fault and so the system actually wasn't working and it hadn't been working for several months and it had been in for maintenance several times and kind of dismissed as a work item to repair and so in our report we def- we talk about the issue of you know, this is a safety technology. It was required by contract. Um, and then when it wasn't working, nobody was addressing it. So we make recommendations that these types of collision avoidance systems should require drivers to report them as faults, uh, as, as, as on their vehicle inspection reports, that these are faulty, they've got a warning light and it needs to be repaired. Um, it was nice to see that um, the companies involved in this are changing their processes to make sure that doesn't happen again, but we need all companies to be doing that. 
That might be a good segue to a similar topic, uh, Rob. The NTSB has investigated several high-profile crashes involving driver assist systems. And one of the commonalities from those probes, I believe, is uh, the idea of automation complacency. So are humans getting too comfortable with all of this technology in cars today? Well, again, interesting because before I came to the board, uh, my research was looking at the effects of automation on performance of tasks. And um, we identified that if you automate a task and people are given the choice to do something else, but they also have to monitor the automation of the task or how well the automation routine is doing, they don't do that. You know, they let the automation take care of itself because generally it's highly reliable. They're not seeing it fail. So they feel comfortable doing other tasks. And that's what we saw with our investigations of the, you know, several crashes involving Teslas with autopilot active, that drivers felt comfortable doing other tasks. So in our Mountain View investigation, we found that the driver was playing a game on their phone uh, instead of monitoring the, the vehicle. Um, and so we have seen that over and over again, that poor monitoring of the driving task. Some of that, they were using the system in a place where the system was going to have problems. Uh, for two of our investigations, there was cross traffic that they had to deal with. Now, the system wouldn't detect the cross traffic. Um, and so it shouldn't have been allowed to be used in that case. We don't necessarily know the drivers knew that limitation. So that's where we call for manufacturers to only allow it to be used in domains where it can actually work. Um, and also all of this technology that we've seen has some level of monitoring the driver to make sure they're not becoming complacent because this isn't a new issue. Um, but the reality is the systems they're using to monitor the drivers haven't been effective. And so that's why we've called for uh, NHTSA to, to look at ways to create uh, standards for these monitoring systems to make sure they actually work. Well, I would imagine that some of this is a marketing issue as well. So how concerned are you, you know, if, if at all, with uh, automakers pushing the idea that these driver assist systems are autonomous? I think there's a lot of misunderstanding out there. And what impact does that have right now in the early days of this technology? Well, I think, again, some of the communication needs to be giving the driver information they need to know that there are limitations. And with that knowledge, hopefully then drivers <clears throat> will focus on the driving task and, and monitoring the system um, to remember that it's just an aid to their driving and it's not replacing them. Um, and that's something that we've seen, again, across the modes where people will have too much faith in the automation and um, not, you know, not have the faith in the operator um, to take over. And so the system will shut that out or just um, not divide the task well between the automated system and the drivers so that they're both engaged. Because we don't have any vehicles where people can just stop monitoring the driving. You've mentioned some of your previous research and, uh, and learnings from other modes in this area. Uh, I'm curious, uh, are, are we talking about things that you learned in aviation a long time ago that, that now apply to cars here in the 2020s? I think, you know, what we've learned from other modes is that people become over-reliant on automation. You know, uh, I worked on a marine investigation where they 
had the ship on autopilot um, and the connection with their GPS system uh, broke. So it started just steering in the direction, but not accounting for wind and, and waves. But when they were given information, the crew was about you're in the wrong place, you know, uh, the situation of the water, there was waves, shouldn't have been there. But they had so much trust in the automation that they ignored those other cues until they grounded. You know, I think that's what we see is that people have the trust in automation uh, and will even trust that more than their own senses. So. I'm curious, you mentioned some of the Tesla investigations that MTSB has done. Uh, the first one was stemming from a crash in May 2016 in Williston, Florida, um, that, that killed its driver. And I thought one of the interesting things about that crash was how much help uh, both NTSB and NHTSA in its own investigation needed from, from the manufacturer in, in kind of understanding the, uh, you know, extracting insights from the software. I'm curious, uh, six years later now, or almost six years later, has, has that expertise at the federal level developed? Uh, what, what's sort of the, uh, the process there for, for learning something as, as kind of difficult as how to extract proprietary data from, from a, a particular manufacturer system? Certainly. And I think you know, we've developed the technology and the know-how as we've gone through a series of these uh, investigations. Um, with regard to investigating technologies like this, you know, we can draw from the experiences we have from other modes uh, on what are the issues we should be looking for. Um, but one thing I'll make clear too is we always rely on uh, groups to help us with investigation. Um, I have um, 30 investigators in my office. So knowing every issue and the nuances of every issue, um, very difficult. Uh, so we always have parties uh, and the manufacturers are always invited as parties. So that's typical. We'll have um, crashes that don't involve any automation where we have the manufacturer uh, assisting us. But one thing that we have been calling for is with these uh, automated vehicles is we think there should be better data collection. Um, and we've called on the DOT to develop parameters that can get collected so that anyone when they do an investigation can learn quickly about what the vehicle is doing um, and so we have called for that also right. i want to ask you about one more crash related to automated vehicles rob and it's the uh the uber crash in march 2018 in tempe uh we're coming up on the four-year anniversary of that one i guess um, mm -hmm. maybe i'm just a pessimist but i feel like there were lots of potential lessons to be learned from that crash and and, and maybe they've been learned, but but I'm wondering if you see them as being applied throughout the industry, and um, what what sort of concrete progress might we might you see or, or still hope to see stemming from from that particular incident? Well, I think in in that case too, we had a driver who had such faith in the system that they felt comfortable watching a video uh, while they should have been monitoring the driving. Um, we had a situation where a pedestrian detection system on the Volvo was turned off so that Uber could use its own system. And we, in our investigation, found that the pedestrian detection system probably would have detected the bicyclist. You know, we found there were some rules to help the system uh, detect pedestrians so that they had to be in a crosswalk. And then it would be more likely that's a uh, pedestrian and we'll take action. If you're jaywalking, it, it wouldn't 
count that as, uh, uh, as a pedestrian. So we saw issues like that. But one of the big things we felt from that is that as people are testing these systems, the safety assurance, you know, actually going through and, and documenting all the efforts they're doing to make sure it's a safe system uh, is critical. And we called for those to be required, um, that safety assurance that, you know, uh, NHTSA has given guidance on how to do that, but not required it when the testing of those vehicles are in place. And I think making sure people have looked at all the ways that the systems may not be safe and taken efforts to mitigate those is, is a critical factor before they start the testing. I'm going to um, shift gears here for just a moment, Rob. Um, and anybody who watched the uh, Super Bowl, you know, a couple of weeks ago knows that electric vehicles are all the rage now. A lot of the autom automakers ads, et cetera, were focused on EVs. So um, how has the NTSB uh, worked to prepare for an influx of electric vehicles and what specific safety challenges do EVs bring? So one thing is we see emerging technologies. Uh, we make adjustments on what we might go out to investigate. Uh, so as we saw automated vehicles coming, we added that as something to look for with crashes. Same thing with electric vehicles. Uh, as they become more prevalent, um, if there were crashes involving electric vehicles, we thought we would go out and look at uh, what the safety issues were. Um, we had a series of crashes involving electric vehicles. Um, you know, the first one we looked at was a um, test vehicle that NHTSA had crashed and had a fire while parked post-crash. Um, it just spontaneously began burning. Um, we investigated that. And then we investigated a number of uh, Tesla uh, crashes that had battery fires. Um, the issues we saw were that people, um, firefighters, weren't prepared um, completely on how to address fighting that fire. And so that's where we made recommendations that the manufacturers provide better uh, guidance to the fire community and first responder community on um, how to deal with vehicle fires involving uh, lithium-ion batteries. Um, we didn't talk about are they more prevalent or not more prevalent than gas fires. It's a different fire, which requires different techniques to fight, fight the fire. And we just wanted to make sure first responders knew that and the manufacturers of electric vehicles were making that information available to them. I know we don't have much uh, more time, but I do want to um, just ask you a little bit about yourself. And can you tell us um, how you got interested in the type of work that the NTSB does? So, certainly. And so my background is psychology and how it's applied to solve human problems. Um, and so as I was beginning my uh, training in that area, um, I learned about just human factors and systems engineering and how uh, human error just doesn't describe uh, adequately why errors happen, that they happen in a system, and that trying to decide how the system failed was something that I, I found very interesting and in being able to document that. And so I did research on, you know, how can we evaluate why people make errors um, when they're trying not to make errors and they're highly trained and finding what factors in the environment are affecting their ability to, to, to perform safely. Um, and in my research, I was doing a lot of reading of NTSB reports. And you know, so I had a lot of familiarity. As I mentioned, I was doing some automation uh, research and there were a number of aviation crashes that involved automation 
Um, so I was learning about those reports and the application of the tools that I was learning about uh, to specific problems where people were um, dying uh, needlessly because you know safety systems weren't in place um, really attracted me to the board. Um, and so luckily I ran into a safety board uh, investigator one day, uh, asked him about possible jobs, and he said, we've got several openings, you should apply. And I was able to get the job and it's been an extremely rewarding career because when I was doing research, it was great to write a research article and at the end say, these are some things that people could do to help prevent these tragedies. I don't know how many people did that, but at the board, I can make the recommendations and I see people act on the recommendations. And so I know I'm preventing some of these tragedies in the future. So that's what's been great about it. Rob, that seems like a, a perfect place to, uh, to end this. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, great conversation, really enjoyed all the insight that you provided. Thank you, Pete. Thanks, Leslie. Thank you again to Robert Malloy from the NTSB for his time today and sharing his expertise on kind of the always hopeful, always uh, complicated V2X world. Uh, Leslie, what were your top takeaways from that conversation? Well, Pete, it's never easy to hear about fatalities. It's never easy to hear about accidents. But I came away with a positive feeling that progress is being made, even though the industry has suffered a bit of a setback when the spectrum was cut, you know, to what, only 30 uh, megahertz of space. And there's a possibility of interference from other devices and radio signals. But I think that we're heading in the right direction. We're certainly heading in the wrong direction when it comes to fatalities on our roads and anything that can be done to prevent or mitigate these tragedies, I say, is a good thing. Yeah, I, I would agree, Leslie. And I think, you know, some, some skeptics of V to X uh, have said that, you know, they're very skeptical of a lot of the claims out there that V to X could solve, uh, you know, a majority of cra traffic crashes and save tens of thousands of lives. And, you know, I guess my response to that kind of is, well, if, if it saves a thousand lives a year or, or 2000 or 500, that's, you know, I, I think there's no silver bullets to the traffic fatality problem writ large that you just alluded to, uh, which is getting worse. So if, if V2X could, could put a dent in that, uh, you know, I think that's, that's really positive if we could save a thousand lives a year. Uh, you know, so I think that it's going to be interesting to see how this one really plays out, you know, in the short term, really, because I think it's, it's kind of in getting close to a now or never in terms of deploying it. So. Uh, we'll continue to check in on that topic, uh, but that is our episode for today. Thanks to our producer, Josh Freed. Thank you to all of you for listening, and we'll be back next week. 